is this two weeks in a row with ladies on vo vocals and men on instruments? Is this a thing? Is this going to change things? Just noticed it just as I separated ladies, vocals, men, instruments. Um, I want to ask you to do something for me this morning. Would you stand up where you are? I know you were asked to stand earlier. I'm not sure all of you are capable, but those of you who are, stand where you are. Would you now just look around? Just look around. Those are other people present. It's been a while. If you're at home standing, those faces are probably pretty familiar to you, but to, you may not know all the faces that are around you. Would you turn around as comfortable as you are from where you are and greet and say hello and wave and shake your hands at them in some manner that will let them know that you're waving? Somebody wave at Daryl. He's all by himself over there. Yeah, you can talk. It's okay to talk in church now. You have to be quiet in a minute. People in the back are the first ones to say, yeah, it's time to sit down now. <laughs> They're all wanting the ones in the front to sit down so they can see. Well, I hope you feel like you're welcome here and that you you got to know somebody's face at least in the last few minutes. We've lost track of each other quite a bit, and so I'm just glad to see us get a chance to, to touch, at least in some way, those who are around us. Uh, those of you who are at home, we look forward to seeing you when we can, and until uh, then... We are grateful that you're joining us online. There are a couple hundred uh, different uh, views each week. Watch. So we assume that's, I don't know, between two and 400 people that are watching with you on a Sabbath uh, between now and what's interesting, it goes between now and whenever they get up on Sabbath morning um, to watch those, those 200 to kind of catch up. Usually 80 or 100 are at the same time you are, and then a few more catch up as the day goes by, and we pick up a few people during the week. But uh, all of you who are out there online, we are grateful for you as well. And again, look forward to, to seeing you present. And if you are uh, far flung, if you're in Costa Rica or Iceland or Iowa, would you, uh, would you just send us a little note? If you can email us at graceofthepoint.org and uh, just let us know you're out there so we can get a chance to figure out who all we are now. Um, what I want to talk to you a little bit about today is as a second installment of what we talked about last week, we talked about flexing your thankfulness muscle that it only can grow with you with use right it, you need to you need to see that thing get stronger there are several ways in which that works um, one of the things about this one of the important things about this is that it does become habitual when you do it it also becomes habitual when you don't do it so you know how you've sat on the couch and watched your belly grow before? That's a habit. And things grow when you get real still. They're not always the things you want, but they do grow. Things shift around when you sit still. You know, you used to have all that weight that was up here, fellas, and now it's kind of gone down here. You used to have that, you know, 29 waist. You would have to go into that section where only the skinny, really tough guys went and get your 29, 30-inch waist pants. And now you've kind of drifted over to the middle-aged man section. You know that section between 36 and 46, that section? 
You know, you're over in that. That's because what used to be up here, gravity has won and it has fallen. That's what happens with inactivity. Gravity sort of takes over and things move around for you. With activity, with the movement of yourself, things move around too. And things, you can recover your waste. It can be, it can be found. It's still there. It's just got a nice fluffy covering over it. It can be found. Those of you who have kept it into your, to your 50s and 60s, bless you. We all hate you, but we bless you. Bless you. Just kidding. Kind of. But I just want to, I want to remind you that all things in life that are left undone also become habits. And if you don't say thank you, it also becomes a habit. You go through the grocery store line, somebody goes and helps you out, and maybe they even help you with something difficult. You know, you wrote a check, and so you've held up the entire line for the last five minutes, and they're still smiling at you when you're done. If you just turn walk, it builds a habit of not really thinking about the other person and not really being grateful for that other person. And, you know, if you could stop for a sec and just say thank you, it is, listen carefully to this, it is a kingdom activity. In a messed up world, to say thank you is a statement different from the rest of the world. And believers, people who have big reasons to be thankful, need to be little thank, thank you lights all over the place. Where you just go through and you say thank you. Oh, by the way, one of those great things we think is, thank, we're, is awesome when we're thankful it, to pay for all the people in line or just the person behind us at, uh, at the, the coffee shop drive-up window or whatever. I found out from one of the folks who works at the coffee shop that they hate that. Because then they have to keep up with who gave them money and who, because what ends up happening is a chain reaction. You help the person behind you, who helps the person behind them, who helps the person behind them. And then there are 10 minutes of trying to remember what you gave them to pay that person. It just becomes a difficulty for them. So um, I don't know what you do. Just give them a big tip. Just thank the person actually standing there. But I just want to remind you to flex the muscle you want to see grow. Gratitude is a muscle, and it grows with use. It's kind of where we were last week. It's kind of what we were talking about. Remember, we talked a little bit about Daniel and how it was his practice, his habit, to sit in that window every day. And even when tough days come, came, and, and maybe especially because tough days had arrived, he knelt down in that window again. He turned as he was called by Solomon and he faced Jerusalem and he prayed as he had done for now probably 60 or 65 years. Today I want to take you again into that topic and I want to remind you of sort of the place we started. It was with this text, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. And I started here for a reason. It kind of gives us a whole bunch of pieces. First, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Can we start with the last phrase? Can you read the last phrase with me? It starts out with the word for. Got that phrase? You see it up there? Okay, so read it with me. You look up there. I'm going to look up there. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay, it's been a while since you've been here, so this is what we do sometimes. We talk out loud, and we, we do this together. So we're going to do it again. We're going to start with the word for again. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One more time. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice that he is telling us something very specific about the, 
the previous three short statements. Rejoice always is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Make prayer just like breathing. It's happening all the time in your life. You're just praying all the time. You see somebody stopped on the side of the road and your first response is, Lord, please take care of them. Please bless them. You see somebody fly by you at 100 miles an hour in traffic and you don't just scream at them and, and, and wave at them inappropriately. You say, Lord, please take care of that person who's driving down the road because they're endangering themselves and a bunch of other people. And you just start thinking in terms of prayer all the time. You go through that grocery line, you've written the check, and now there are 20 people standing behind you six feet apart, and they're clear to the back of the aisle. And so you now look back at the aisle behind you and say, Lord, please bless those people who are waiting in line and um, help them not to be too angry about the fact that I wrote a check. And, and, you know, you just start getting in the practice of reaching out to God on behalf of the world around you because we spend a lot of time reaching out to God only on behalf of ourselves and our family. Praying without ceasing brings us into the realm of prayer for the whole of the people around us. We're making, and please understand this, it doesn't feel sometimes, especially when you pray for someone you're walking by, pray for somebody you're driving past, pray for somebody you don't know in the store, it doesn't feel like you're doing anything. Right? It just feels like you're talking. But it makes a kingdom difference. Remember what prayer is. Prayer is the key in the hand of faith that unlocks heaven's storehouse. Prayer is the key that opens a locked storehouse of blessings for the people around you. It's not just for us. Interceding for each other and for other people unlocks the storehouse for them as well. If you don't believe that, why would you pray for God to care for or bless someone? If it doesn't make a difference, it's just babble. But if it does make a difference, the difference it makes is the kingdom difference. It brings God into an equation where he wasn't before because the other person wasn't praying for themselves. And it, did you hear? All the way in the back on this side. It brings God into the equation where he wasn't before because they weren't praying for themselves. So you open that that storehouse and you pour out blessings on somebody who isn't asking for a blessing. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Let these things become habitual for you. When you get up in church and you're singing, you're praying, those things are, those acts are acts of worship. You can carry worship throughout the day, throughout your life, by being rejoicing, by finding good things that aren't aren't obvious to other people. Did you thank, did you build a thank, thank you list for 2020? A couple of us did. I know I just heard a voice over there. I started mine because I was so mad I needed to do something. I did. I'm honest. Do you have a thank you list for your husband or your wife? Do you have a thank you list for your parents, even if they weren't awesome? Their biology got you here. It may be the only thing on the list, but it's it's a list. It's a start. Do you have a thank you list for where you are, where you live? Do you have a thank you list for your boss? 
Do you have a thank you list for the tough things that are going on right now in your life? These processes, these things begin to change who we are. Rejoice always. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. That's the sticking point. Rejoice always. We get it. We can find something to be joyful about. Pray without ceasing. Yeah, there's so much that needs prayer. But in everything. If he just said, and give thanks, we would shrug it off as, sure, piece of cake. But the will of Christ in you, the will of God in Christ in you, is in everything. It's the in everything. So I, I want to I take you into the book of Acts. If you've got your Bible with you, open to Acts chapters 3 and 4. Um, Acts chapters 3 and 4 are that bridge point. We, Acts chapter 1, you, you see that opening sort of scenes of the church. Chapter 2, you see the blossoming as they stand up and begin to preach and thousands of people become part of the church. Chapter 3, you start seeing that, that getting a little more of a focus. Chapter 4, it kind of hits a pinnacle at a moment that begins to shift things. I want you to catch... Uh, uh, just a bit of the story, Acts chapter 3, it's, that, it's a pretty famous story actually. Peter and John are going to church. Now they go up to the temple on a regular basis. In fact, the Bible will tell us later that they went from house to house. They, they preached and talked and, and led people from house to house and in bigger gatherings. And then they went to the church. They went to the temple every day. They went because that was where the church met. They had a borrowed building. They weren't even welcome in the building, actually, but they were using it anyway because it was the only building anybody knew. So they went to this sort of public facility, this, this big open space where Christianity is being birthed under Solomon's portico, these, this side porch that's on the, uh, on the end of the building. Just this, this, I think it's about four pillars wide, and it's about 80 feet long, and it's just this big porch where people would gather. Jesus would go there. That's probably why they go there. They probably go to the same place where Jesus went because it was just a hab- habitual thing to be in that place. But the, di- the disciples keep showing up there when they've changed names and now they've become apostles. And they're teaching and teaching and teaching people there. And they're trying to sell- share the good news of Jesus, share the things Jesus taught, trying to remember and then to share, trying to study and then to share. They're growing in their faith and the church is being birthed there in that porch that Solomon's portico forms. And Peter and John show up one day. They walk in. You remember the story at all? Is this starting to ring any bells in your mind? It's a story where they walk in and there's a man there. He's apparently been there the whole time. They've been coming in and out with Jesus. And Jesus has neglected this poor guy all this time. Forty years this guy's been having problems. Peter and John go by and there's a man begging right there. And as they walk in, they walk by this guy. And he's asking for money. Any of you change lanes when there's somebody with a sign in your lane. Not asking, don't raise your hand, just thinking about it. He's asking for money. They've, they're about to blow by him. They don't have any money. Peter then connects his gaze to the man. The Bible says he looks intently at him. I've heard, I've heard some translations say he looked angrily at him. I don't know if that's true, but it's, it's intense when you're looking angrily at someone. 
He makes the man's gaze, faces him eye to eye, look at me kind of a gaze. And they meet, their eyes meet. And the guy, he has good reason. He thinks, this guy's going to look at me like everybody else is ignoring me. This guy's going to look at me. There's some money in it for me. And Peter doesn't give him money. He says, silver and gold, I have none. But what I have, I'll give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up. Remember the story. Got the story in your head. If you don't remember the story, you got the picture in your head. Guy gets up, 40 years crippled, gets up. And the Bible says, leaping and jumping, he goes into the, the temple. He goes into the temple with them, goes to Solomon's portico, and they're standing in the midst of all these people. There's this sermon. These people are coming to run because they've seen the guy out there. They've gotten past him before. They've handed him money once in a while. They've ignored him because they didn't have any or because they didn't want to give him any. It's been a guy they've gone by, especially those who routinely come through that door. Now they go to find this guy standing there still, leaping and jumping and praising God. But what's just happened to him? You know, holding his leg up, showing people, look, pulling his skirts up, look. Peter seizes the moment and begins to preach. This doesn't happen because of us. This happened because of Jesus. This man that you rejected and this man that you allowed to be killed and then voted for him to be killed, this man was resurrected. And the power and authority of the man who is alive today, we spoke to this man And by faith in Jesus, he was made whole. And here he stands before you as a testimony of Jesus' authority and Jesus' power. It can happen to you too. Chapter 4. As they spoke to the people. They're still in the middle of the sermon. You talk about blowing a sermon up. As they spoke to the people. The priests, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Stop for just a moment. Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. It's bad enough that they're preaching about this Jesus guy in the temple. They're also teaching people that they can be resurrected. What a bunch of crazy heretics these are. And they laid hands on them. (laughs) It's a nice way to say they arrested them. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Jail overnight. We'll deal with you tomorrow. However, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men was about 5,000. One sermon, 5,000 people believe in Jesus. Because there's a guy who's been sick 40 years standing there praising God on his new feet. Being thankful and rejoicing and praising God. 
the story goes on. They have some conversations, with com some conversations with the Sadducees and the leaders and all of that sort of thing. Here's what I want you to get, though. The church is barely born, and the leaders are already getting arrested. Could you do the everything then? If you were the church and you just found out Peter and John have been arrested with a, some poor guy who's had new feet for, you know, maybe a couple hours. Could you, if you were the church sitting at home then, if you were the new believers who just in chapter 2 were converted and baptized and repented and began to follow Jesus, would this new religion, would it, would it excite you? Would it fright, give you fear at that moment? Would you be rejoicing? Would you rejoice always? might pray without ceasing, right? You might pick that one. Would you be giving thanks? See, this is the picture, right? This is the conflict. This is the struggle. In everything, give thanks. The story goes through, and they get into trouble, and stuff happens. And you keep, if you keep reading it, you find out that the whole rest of Acts is somebody preaches, gets arrested, gets dragged out, gets stoned, gets let down over the side of a wall to be protected. They get all kinds of trouble, and it just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling along. In fact, in this particular story, oh, sorry, too, too many. Now, it came to pass after these things, oh, sorry, my bad, I'm getting ahead of myself. In this particular story, these guys end up in jail more than once. These guys end up in trouble all the time. And yet we find them rejoicing. Because they have spent time in this thankful mode before. And when even a bad thing happens, they're looking for the God thing in it. Do you have that? When even a bad thing happens, they're looking for the God thing. I didn't say they were looking for the good thing in it. It's a big difference, that little O. They're looking for the God thing in it. That's why I wanted to talk to you about Abraham. Because we think that these things are New Testament ideas. They're not. They're just God ideas. Do you remember the story of Abraham and his son, his, his son Isaac? The, the child of the promise? Remember the story? Abraham is in his hundreds. He's probably 115 or so by this point. Anybody 115? Nobody? Anybody? I dare to say he was older than anybody in this building when the child was born. I know there are a couple ladies who were close to Sarah's age when the child was born. I know there's some of you who are 10 years younger and 20 years younger and 30 years younger who couldn't imagine having a new baby at 60 or 70 or 80 or even maybe 50. Abraham has this miracle child. By the way, you know why God let Abraham wait till he was nine, 90, I mean? Do you know why? He could have let him have him when he was 40. Even 50 or 60 wasn't all that uncommon for that era. Do you know why he let him wait till he was 90? Because prior to this, Abraham could have, came, could have claimed credit. 
there would be less rejoicing. There would be less praising. There would be less thanksgiving. Because Abraham just could have gone around to his buddies saying, yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm the man. And you know men. Some of you are men. Could have happened. When he's 90, he's just going to his buddy saying, I think I'm the man. I got no idea. Isn't God awesome? Sometimes God lets us get to the end of our rope so we recognize it's his rope we're riding. Abraham has a son. The son's 17 to 20 years old, something like that. And God comes to Abraham and he decides to test him. How do you feel about the word test? How many of you were good test takers? Raise your hand if you were a good test taker. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Okay, whoop, whoop, whoop. Really? All the rest of you are bad test takers? Like, there's like five or six of you. How many of you were horrible test takers? Wow. How many of you horrible test takers still pass through school? See, can be done. I heard somebody say barely. <laughs> there were days like that. When we hear the word God tested Abraham, we're like, oh no, don't do this to me, God. I am not rejoicing and I am not thanking you for those things. I might pray, but I'm not doing the others. God decided to test Abraham because Abraham had fallen in love with his son. This is the Walt Groff version of the story. Abraham had fallen in love with his son. I have fallen in love with my son and my daughter. I have fallen in love with my sons and my daughters and my grandchildren. Abraham had begun to really love having this little guy around. And he's just flowering into manhood. And Abraham's watching him. And he's like, my son is becoming a young man. He's strong and he's capable. Look at my son. Isn't this great? And God's test for Abraham is a test for all of us. It is how will you hold what I've given? Yeah, nobody likes to actually talk about this. We preachers avoid that statement. Because we don't like to talk about it either. We jump right to the end of this story. Abraham, I have given you the most miraculous gift you can imagine. Hold it in an open hand. Because the day you wrap your fingers around it and begin to clinch it to your chest, it no longer is recognized for what it really is. My gift, my blessing to you. 
And if it's true of Abraham's son, it's true of everything we hold. The call of God holds the things you're blessed with in your authority. And so God says, Abraham, you are a man of great faith. You are a man who has seen miraculous things take place. You have spoken with me personally. Abraham, you know me and you know my voice. I would like you to do something for me. Okay, God. I trust you. I'm in. What do you want? You want me to have another kid? I'd like you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Is your relationship with God over that day? Are there things too big for God to ask you to give to Him. None of us can imagine this call. Abraham certainly couldn't have. Are there things in your life that are too close, that are held too tightly for you to release your grip and say, these are yours. If you want them, God, take them. What gift has God given you that would be the most difficult to give away to Him? To offer back to Him. What gift has God given you that you don't want to let go? One came to mind. It may have been your child. When you started thinking about this story at the beginning, you may have been thinking about your kid and said, no, 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 I can't go that far with you, God. Now, granted, he doesn't ask this of any other person that we know of in all of Scripture. We, he may have done something with somebody that didn't get recorded. We don't know of any other person scripturally that this was asked of. One guy who walked so close with God throughout his life that he left his home and walked out into the desert, leaving everything behind, taking only what he could carry on his back and maybe on a camel or two. He went out into a place called Haran where his father, who was part of the group that left, died. And he carried on from there with his nephew and they went out into the wilderness looking for a city they had never seen, looking for a place God was sending them to that they didn't know. And God took them out into that place, into that wilderness. And he had been wandering around there for plus 25 years, probably closer to 35 or 40. It's interesting that it's probably 40. He takes his son goes up on the mountain. Are you familiar with this story? Is it new to you? If, there, is this is, if this is a brand new one to you, go read it. It's there in Genesis 22. It, it, it's a mind-blowing story. He goes up on the mountain. His son says, Dad, we've got everything we need here. we got some wood. I saw you chopping it earlier. we got some fire so we can start the fire easily. Um, we didn't bring a lamp. What's up? God will provide for himself a lamp. Hebrews tell us, tells us, that Abraham's faith was in a place at that moment that he believed that if he had to kill his own son, God would resurrect him. He was ready to go all the way and trust that God would take it even then. Hmm. He 
thought of a thing yet that you wouldn't let go of? That you wouldn't give God back? Remember, it came from him. Abraham off Mount Moriah is supposed to rejoice in the Lord always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. Is there anything to be thankful for? Step by step up the mountain, getting closer to the demise of his own child, is there anything to be thankful for? When Isaac submits to being tied up and laid there on the altar, is there anything to be thankful for? When Abraham sharpens the knife to make this as painless as he can on his son, taking every moment that he can so that God could change his mind, and the, snarp, the knife is so sharp that there's nothing more he can do, that he steps there over to his son, piles of wood under him, lying on top of this altar, ready to set the, the, the fire and ready to slice his throat. Abraham gets all the way to the point of raising the knife. Is there anything in any of those places to be thankful for? In everything, give thanks. Here we stand at the other end of the story. But can you imagine yourself in the middle of it? In everything, give thanks. Is it possible? Is it possible that Abraham, in the midst of this story, was so certain of God's gift and of God's favor that walking up this hill, he's saying, thank you, God, for giving me your son. Even if I only get 17 years, thank you for those 17 years. Thank you that I don't know how you're going to do it. But I believe you're going to do something through it. Thank you that I trust you. Thank you for all the hard things we've gone through before because they've allowed me to trust you to get here. Are those things you think you might be able to conjure up in a difficult situation? You know when you find out? When you're in a difficult situation. I've seen family after family after family who suffered a great loss. A parent, even a child, who in the midst of their grief found the greatest solace in their son that will only be there for you if you practice Time to start trying to lift weights and get stronger is not when the car has fallen on your foot. Weeks and months and years before. I have seen it happen. It doesn't always happen. Those who are not used to being bound closely to God by their thanks 
by their praise and by their prayers, struggle the most in those moments of great loss. Because they have nowhere to go. No fallback place. Not enough faith for the moment. Abraham just rose early in the morning so he might get an early start. Chop the wood, blow the beams, got his son, and went to the place God told him to go. Because it was his habit to be led by God each day of his life. His habit to trust God, even when he didn't understand. What kind of relationship did they have? Back to the book of Acts, and I promise not to keep you till supper time. Close. The apostles go in the first time. They get released and sent home. The guys don't go home. They go to some friends in the church and they pray. They pray for boldness. Pastor Marlene reminded us of this just a, just a couple of weeks ago, I think. Then they go back to preach and get snatched again. When they get snatched again, they're hauled off again. They're beaten. This is the, this is the light sentence that they got beaten. And then they let, go, let them go. And this is how they responded. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. They, they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' name. It's not the first time, but it's just the beginning. It won't be long until James, the apostle, is killed. James, brother of John. It won't be long before Stephen is killed. These things are going to get worse. But in the midst of this first beating, they go home rejoicing. Because they understand that the worst day of their life was the day when God opened His greatest blessing on them. They have seen their friend crucified. And the outcome of the crucifixion is the salvation of mankind. 
They've seen their friend die. And the outcome of his death was salvation opened for the world. They have been with Jesus through the hard times. They have known John the Baptist, this great voice for God, and seen him die. They have known Jesus intimately and personally and seen him die. When they are beaten on behalf of Jesus, they go home saying, how blessed we are to have suffered some small way in which Jesus suffered so that we might have salvation. What relationship did they have and how did they get it? They had the same one Abraham had. They had a relationship built on a daily walk with God. A relationship built on acts of faith that were sometimes small and sometimes huge, but each time they kept stepping into it. Leaning into God when they didn't know. Letting go of the things that held them up that they thought were going to be the answers for them. And keep swinging wildly out through the air until God caught them. Practicing rejoicing, practicing prayer without ceasing, practicing giving thanks to God in everything. When you give thanks, it is a reporting reporting to yourself on the record of God's intercession for you. When you're giving thanks, it is a, a record, a reporting of the record in your own life. Of what God has done for you. That's what thanks is. Thanks happens because you had something happen. Thanks happens because you have a testimony for yourself. Thanks is personal testimony back to me. When I am thankful for the things of God, it is the reporting of the record of God in my life again to me. I hear myself say, thank you, God, for the blessings that you gave me. Thank you, God, for the prayer you didn't answer. Thank you for the one you did. Thank you for seeing me through for the tough times. Thank you for giving me the blessings that I've had. As those things roll off my lips, my brain records what I have experienced with God again. And that is getting deeper and deeper and deeper in my relationship. It's deepening my walk. And as my walk gets deeper, I can deal with tougher things. What happens to the church? As James dies and Stephen dies, the church scatters and it had to feel to the apostles like the end of Christianity. It had to feel like the total destruction of what they'd been building. Thousands of people had come to know God through their preachings. Thousands upon thousands of people around and in Jerusalem and then spreading to the neighborhoods around into Bethlehem of all places, down Mount Moriah and off into the east. All around that space, the very place where Isaac had been under the knife, now was the center of Christianity, and they'd been booted out. What happened? That's where the church was really born. And that, for that moment, it was a Jewish thing. After that moment, it was a global thing. Philip goes off and starts talking to the Samaritans. Why? Jesus did. Peter gets called over to Caesarea and starts talking to the Romans. People end up in Antioch, in Caesarea, in Syria. And they just keep moving around and moving and spreading out. 
The church goes from a simple, small effort contained in the city of Jerusalem to a globally impacting force du jour. It becomes the primary actor in culture for the next 300 years. And the only thing that stops it is it joined itself to government. Wow, times don't change. Ladies and gentlemen, COVID kicked us in the teeth and kicked us out of the church. That will never change. We are stuck with cameras and lights. Hope it doesn't bother you too much. We are one of millions of voices on the airwaves that weren't there before or had such a tiny fingerprint they were easily overlooked. And now, church after church after church after church, all over the first world, through most of the second world, and in parts of the third world, are on the stinking internet, which is everywhere. We have asked for generations, how will the church reach the world in a final generation? We got kicked out of our building, that's how. In everything, give thanks. I didn't like 2020. I haven't really liked 2021. And I'm not really looking forward to 2022. But I am very thankful we got kicked out of church. And not just us. The global we. The church we. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached to every nation. Then shall the end come. The internet will help. But the kingdom is still best preached when online. Let us not come back to church and close the doors and forget the fearful and the lost in our world. The other thing that COVID taught us is people are desperately afraid and they don't have Jesus to turn to. But they have you. Every person on the planet is still a child of God. You don't have to know all the story. You just have to know what's happened to you. If you share that, if you tell that story, it'll be enough. We are all men most thankful.
if we were to turn, when what God promised, we may see before we close our eyes. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this this little virus that I don't even want to be thankful for that has pushed us out of the door. and forced us into situations we didn't want to be in. Thank you that at Grace Point you had already made provision, and I'm certain for the rest of the world you have too. That before we dug the ditch, you handed us the shovel. Before you asked us to dig, you gave us what we needed. Today we pray for the boldness to speak the to share what you have been doing for us, the reason for our hope. 